0: You know, the Department of Energy is taking the once-in-a-lifetime passage of these bills and uh, looking to transform the energy economy. And I know I have the vantage point of sitting where I'm sitting, but the breadth of these programs... Everyone, I do believe, is going to be starting to feel them in the next year because commitments are being made, dollars will start being put out the door, and shovels are going to start to go in the ground. So you'll start seeing that economic activity. And then it's you know incumbent upon the department to monitor these programs, share the data that we're receiving, and report back on our climate goals.
1: Welcome to Smarter Markets a weekly podcast featuring the icons and entrepreneurs of technology, commodities and finance, ranting on the inadequacies of our systems and riffing on ideas for how to solve them. Together, we examine the questions, are we facing a crisis of information or a crisis of trust? And will building smarter markets be the antidote? This episode is brought to you in part by Base Carbon, it's time to get serious on carbon. Learn more at BaseCarbon.com.
2: Welcome back to Carbon Frontiers on Smarter Markets. I'm Dave Greeley, Chief Economist at ABEX Technologies. Our guest today is Leslie Biddle. Leslie is Senior Advisor to the Undersecretary for Infrastructure at the U.S. Department of Energy and a former partner at Serengeti Asset Management. We'll be discussing how the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022 and the Bipartisan Infrastructure Bill of 2021 are transforming U.S. energy policy and accelerating the energy transition to a low-carbon economy. Hello, Leslie. Welcome to Smarter Markets. Hi, David. Thanks so much for joining us today. I feel really fortunate to have you here to provide us with this sort of user's guide to the Inflation Reduction Act and the investment dollars that it makes available for the energy transition to a low-carbon economy. This has been you know, one of the topics of conversation this year, so having you here to help us all understand it better is a huge help, so thank you. Before we dive into the user's guide, however, I'd like to take a step back to discuss how the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022 builds upon the Bipartisan Infrastructure Bill of 2021, because while the $370 billion of investment headline in the Inflation Reduction Act deservedly captures a lot of the attention... I think the bipartisan infrastructure bill laid the groundwork by expanding the DOE's ability to put that type of investment to work. So, Leslie, can you start us off by walking us through how these two pieces of legislation have transformed the Department of Energy's ability to support investment in the energy transition?
0: Dave, I'm incredibly happy to be here. Thank you so much. And thanks so much for your question. I really appreciate the opportunity to, um, to lay out really how the Department of Energy is taking the really once in a lifetime passage uh, of these bills and uh, looking to transform the energy economy. You know, the story really begins, as you said, in November of 2021. You know, the Department of Energy has always been the heart and soul of the research and development of the energy sector in the United States. We have 17 national labs, which are the standard bearer for R&D and science. And what the bipartisan infrastructure bill did was also create dollars, $62 billion, that would allow us to actually create deployment and commercialization of those technologies. And so that, that was new for us. And so the way we respond to that was actually restructuring the Department of Energy. We kept as the pillar, then uh, there's now three pillars, obviously R&D, incredibly important, always will be the heart and soul of the Department of Energy. We also have you know, foreign policy, nuclear policy, a separate group, and then the new office that was created, which is the Office for Infrastructure. And you know the infrastructure muscle, like taking R and D, taking you know original technology and taking it all the way to commercialization, was not something that the Department of Energy has historically done. To get again R and D shop, so. We had to build out the muscle to allow us to implement the program that was laid out in the bipartisan infrastructure bill. And I'm happy I'm going to pause there for a second, but I'd like to then go into really what that bill did as far as the dollar allocations and how that went into the Office of Infrastructure. But I'll pause to see if you had any questions about what I just said.
2: No, that's a great foundation because I think a lot of people who aren't in government don't realize necessarily the the boundaries in which the various departments operate. So it's a big transition going from being primarily research and development in energy to being able to deploy and then eventually I think through the investment dollars to scale. So maybe we could get into, you know, this notion of the user's guide. You know, as I said, and you know, you've said the the headline number for investment dollars authorized by the IRA is massive. But can you walk us through what form does the available funding take? What is the mix of grants, loans, tax credits?
0: Sure. So uh, again, I'll break it down between bipartisan infrastructure bill and then uh, go to Inflation Reduction Act. So in the bipartisan infrastructure bill, there, as you said, there are grants and there are um, loan guarantee programs, the loan guarantee program. LPO, the loan guarantee program has been around since 2008 as part of the TARP recovery program. And so I think a lot of probably a lot of your viewers, a lot of folks are very familiar with that program. It is, you know, for later stage companies, it is a loan guarantee program. It is working with companies that have the ability to, to repay debt. So further along in their maturity and under the bipartisan infrastructure bill, the authorization and then part of it in is in the, the Inflation Reduction Act, the authorization for LPO was increased to around $400 billion. So a lot more um, horsepower and a broad mandate to put money to work in those technologies areas.
2: So how do the grants and the tax credits fit into all this?
0: Yeah, great. So there was the $62 billion of grant dollars that were also created during the bipartisan infrastructure bill. And those dollars are really used for demonstration, deployment, and commercialization projects. And they are focused and I'll go through um, how they're broken down by technologies, but it is focused on kind of after RD, this is this is technology that works. It is understood for those from a technology background, it's TLR9 and better. So we're not taking technology risk, but they have not been brought to scale. And as you know, Dave, from your background and a lot of of folks here, that moment in time or moment in a project cycle when you know the R&D works, but... The capital expenditures for these, it's, it's not like software where you can kind of build it at a piece, like you have to say, okay, well, this works in the lab. Now I actually want to build a demonstration facility. Those demonstration facilities are also multiple, often multiple hundreds of millions of dollars. And that's what this grant money is meant to do. They call it the val, you know, to, to finance the valley of death. And so the grant program is meant to, to finance those projects. So worked in the labs not ready for you know have full offtakes and fully structured in many cases or they're in commodities new green commodities that are just being developed so less offtakes and really meant to finance the actual construction and development of the infrastructure and the plants in order to get to commercialization so the way that that works is, as laid out in the infrastructure bill, there are a number of areas of focus, and so there is GDO, which is the Grid and Transmission Office. They have a. Pro- I'm going to give approximate numbers. There's approximately 20 billion. There is the Office of Clean Energy Demonstration. They have approximately 26 billion, and I'll go into their programs because a lot of those are happening this summer. And then we have the Office of uh, of Manufacturing and Supply Chain, and they have a combination of grants and tax credits, and I'll break that down. There's also many other really important areas inside of the off of the Office of Infrastructure, which I won't be focusing on today, since this is really about the some of the larger grant dollars. But we do have offices that work with energy efficiency and federal buildings. We have an incredibly strong program. It's called Indian Energy, and what's happening on building out a resilient infrastructure on uh, reservations. So a number of other incredible programs, really fantastic, but I'm really going to focus today on um, some of the larger programs as it relates to the deployment of this, this clean technologies. So Office of Transmission, obviously you know pretty pretty self-explanatory I'm doing everything from uh, programs where they are an anchor tenant in order to facilitate financing to working directly with uh, states on building out critical transmission infrastructure the office for clean energy demonstration has eight billion dollars for hydrogen hubs and we'll spend a little bit more time on those since we have two two big events that are going on with hydrogen hubs. Um, they have 2.5 billion dollars for long duration energy storage. There's 5.8 billion dollars for the decarbonization of industry. Those, think of those as hard to abate sectors such as you know cement, steel, pulp, paper, etc.
2: So yeah, I wanted to ask you, Leslie, because the other aspect of this is the the tax credits. How do they fit in? Is that within the DOE's purview or outside the DOE?
0: Okay, that is a great question. I promise to answer it. But before I do, I did want to just go back to a bit on the process of the grants because in my user guide and with folks listening, I think it's just an important thing to understand because there are timelines and there are deadlines. And so folks need to, to pay attention. So the way the process works is there is a funding request process. Think about it like an RFP. It's called a FOA. And those go out. And they have specific timelines and requirements. And this is the process of granting billions of dollars. So the process to respond to those FOAs is not exactly for the faint of heart. You cannot pull in one all-nighter and get them done. So people should be watching, watching for deadlines. For example, deadline for the hydrogen hubs is actually beginning of April, April 7th, I believe and so there's been a process the foa went out early in the year maybe even in december there was a, a whole process of encourage and discourage and now we're getting to the the final um, requests, people put in their completed applications. We review those over the summer and then awards are granted in the fall. And that's the case with long duration energy storage. Those final applications were submitted last week. There'll be a re- review over the spring announcement this summer. The decarbonization, industrial decarbonization will be coming out later, uh, you know, at the beginning of the summer. And so people should keep their eyes open for those. Then you go through a negotiation process and then the the grants are given. And just to be specific about the structure of those grants, sometimes I've been asked, you know, the, the word equity is used, but just to be very clear, the way those, it's up to 50% cost share. Um, So 50% from the private sector, 50% from the Department of Energy, and there's no expectation of return of or return on capital. So as those projects are, you're meeting certain milestones, we are funding, co-funding with the private sector, and um, we are not expecting a return of capital. Those dollars are, are used to complete the project. So that's how the grants work, and um, we have a very effective webpage. You can sign up for notices, and there's you know the big and the small uh, notices on uh, the, the FOA requests um, come out regularly. So please, everyone sign up and understand what's going on um, here at the DOE. Now I'll answer your question as it relates to tax incentives. So under IRA, the tax incentives, generally speaking, if you like the solar PTC or ITC, that is you qualify under the rules, IRS rules, you are able to take advantage of of those tax incentives. Pretty well understood. In certain instances, the tax incentives are capped. Okay, so there's a, that results in an allocation process, and one of the areas um, where there is a cap is in uh, 48C, and that is has as it relates to the supply chain, and it's a pretty broad provision. It has you know inputs for energy uh, transition, it has recycling, certain uh, minerals, um, it also has just a broader decarbonization category. So because that and that that total amount is capped at 10 billion. And because when that cap, when you, when you as you're going through, which I'm sure everyone has, if you haven't, you will at some point when you're going through um, Ira, and you see a cap, then that will be administered by uh, one of the departments. So some of that is a department of transportation, some's... EPA on the supply chain as it relates to that, those provisions that is handled under the Office of uh, Infrastructure, specifically the office called MESC, which is uh, Manufacturing and Energy Supply Chain. And then I get you know we get asked a question as it relates to you know, grants or LPO, and then what happens or doesn't happen as it relates to your ability to qualify for the production credits. And so when you receive a grant from the Department of Energy, or when you receive a loan from LPO and the Department of Energy, those projects are still able to go through the process of qualifying for the broader tax credits. Um, so you it's not mutually exclusive. It's not as though I got a grant and therefore I'm not able to qualify for a production tax credit. that That's not accurate. You can stack wedding cake, double dip. People call it a lot of different things, but those those are incremental benefits. What you can't do is you can't have a grant fund your equity component to the loan investment program and you can't have the loan investment program be your 50 percent of your private sector. You know, private sector cost share. Like that. So, and that's just policy. It's to make sure that we have appropriate skin in the game from the private sector. But as it relates to if your program, if you're producing something that would in normal course be eligible for the production tax credits under IRA, those are still eligible. A company that would have received a grant or a loan from the Department of Energy would still be eligible.
2: That's really helpful to understand how those relate to each other. And I just had one quick follow up question to make sure I heard you correctly. In terms of the tax credits, it sounded like you were saying that the aggregate amount of tax credits available can be subject to a cap, in which case, who gets those tax credits has to go through a a departmental process to allocate those. So, just because you can't just do the math and say, well, there's going to be so many more billion dollars spent. Because I can apply this tax credit, it's there's an aggregate cap.
0: That is exactly right. So if you're just looking at the solar, you know PTC, that's just out there and everyone understands it, and it's not capped. The example that I that I used is this 10 billion, um, which was specifically it's a capped credit, and it is it's actually an investment tax credit, but um, it's a capped amount, and therefore that is being run within the Department of Energy to make sure that the allocation of that isn't just a first come first serve, we're really focused on supply chain there. And we're making sure that we are, we're getting the projects and, and the companies into those tax credits that are really going to be the, the foundation and the backbone of our ability to do all these projects um, that we're doing uh, across the energy transition. So there is an allocation process inside and that is happening just on that. Um, the end of May, that request will be out. The FOA will be out at the end of May and working through the summer on coming out with the appropriate uh, awards and allocations of that award.
2: And in terms of the people who would like to apply for these grants, loans, tax credits, broadly speaking, who's eligible? And is the funding available for both the for-profit and not-for-profit sectors, or is there a distinction there?
0: So both for-profit and not-for-profits are eligible. That is the case for uh, grants and for the loans, in addition, which people may have noticed, but if, if not, they should underscore that even the tax credits, this time versus in previous, there is a direct pay component, which would allow not-for-profits to take advantage of the tax credits as well. So that's, that's new in, in IRA. So not-for-profits, for-profits, um, both eligible. But we are, you know, we're, these are American. Companies, there is definitely foreign ownership in various parts, but these are majority-owned American companies. There is no kind of, you know, the secretary was in uh, in, in Sarah Week, um, whatever, two weeks ago, and she said, you know, th- this is a unapologetically um, American policy. And so um, we are looking to be leaders in the energy transition, and this is our step forward in that. So American companies, we are looking for American companies to take the lead.
2: And I wanted to ask you how is the DOE balancing investing in the new infrastructure needed for new technologies you know things like hydrogen and batteries versus improving existing in, in energy infrastructure you know by making say homes more energy efficient
0: So there's a lot in the tax credits as it relates to existing there's individual tax rebates on energy efficiency in homes there's individual tax credits as it relates to heat pumps there's individual tax credits as it relates to solar so in addition to the new economy we are also going down to the very residential area to uh, residential you know homes to to bring in the energy efficiency and kind of step forward in the energy transition even at the very local level
2: and I'm curious, how does nuclear energy fit into all of this?
0: Yeah, so we have there are some modular nuclear plants that we are funding. There's three of them, I think folks folks know that. So those those will continue. We do have additional funding for nuclear assets. In addition, there is a there's a mechanism um, in the existing legislature which Originally, there's little sections in both bipartisan sugar bill and IRA that provide floor pricing, essentially, for the existing nukes. And so the intent there is to make sure that our existing nuclear fleet has a baseline of revenue to ensure that they they stay online. So we're really hitting that in both, which is support of incumbent, as well as looking at uh, supporting the incremental nuke development.
2: And you've walked us through a lot of the the nuts and bolts of the application process and the timeline, at least it sounds like a lot's coming over the next few months. And so I wanted to ask you, you know, when should we expect to start to see the money go to work and where should we expect to see some of the money flowing first?
0: Yeah. So the first awards will be in long duration energy storage, and you will see those this summer. And then the next large program, and I think because of the way it's structured and I'll, I'll, I will spend a, a moment on it, is um, hydrogen, and that will be in early fall. And hydrogen, in addition to being $8 billion, which is obviously a big number, the focus is on developing hydrogen hubs. And those really are regional economic eco centers where we are looking for the development of both supply and demand. And the way that the bill has that structured is that we can do looking at establishing between four and six hubs for with up to 50% cost share. But depending on the way the economics come out and the way the proposals are, if we have the dollars, we would seek to to do more. And then, you know, that the idea there obviously is looking at what are the multiple of end uses and the reason why hydrogen is i mean it's all interesting and impactful and incredibly exciting overall but hydrogen is also kind of has its own special place because it can be produced by natural gas obviously it can, you know uh, renewables and then there's multiple end uses and we are looking for those hubs to have multiple end uses as well. So, you know, what's going to happen in um, heavy transport? You know, how can you use hydrogen in the you know existing production, chemical production base, obviously ammonia, fertilizer, what have you. Um, but we really are looking to and hoping that the proposals are such that they're creating that whole ecosystem. So you're you're really starting to see the seeds that will, will grow grow into a much more national hydrogen infrastructure. So I think that that's exciting. And and because they're hubs, you're going to see different participants from, from uh, you know, there's going to be people on the supply side and people on the demand side. And then there's going to be the connective tissue and the, you know, uh, midstream segment to that. So I feel like that w- will be kind of splashy because you'll have a lot of people uh, touching that. And just since I took a, a, little, uh, a little turn on the hydrogen, I will also just put in a Bit of a plug here, um, and maybe you can put it up on the webpage, David. But yesterday we published, which is a you know a pathways um, for hydrogen. It is a report that's produced by the Department of Energy, and um, it's called a commercial liftoff report, pathway report, and it provides the market kind of our best thinking, like where do we see the hydrogen market now. And it basically is developed to create a foundation and a framework for what we're tra- looking, all, looking to achieve with the private sector in the development of the, of the hydrogen economy. And these documents are meant to be living and breathing documents. This is data that we have now. As these dollars go out the door and the information is coming in the door, um, we will use these commercial liftoff pathway reports as the mechanism to provide feedback on what we're seeing to the markets so people understand we're all kind of working from the same baseline of information so check that out that's my pitch on on that report and then um we also will be publishing additional reports through uh throughout the summer including one on uh, green cement and uh, green steel in addition to to what's already out so take a look at those
2: that's great yeah we'll be we'll be sure to make sure we push out those links to our to our audience and you know looking at this the cycle of feedback and iteration, I wanted to ask you, you've had a very accomplished career in private sector investing before you've gone to work it, to help out the DOE as a senior advisor with this big program. And I wanted to ask you, over time, as the data starts to come in, how do we determine whether these programs are achieving their goals? You know, How do we judge whether or not these investments we'll be making with considerable billions of dollars are effective in creating the impact that we need?
0: Yeah, I mean, first of all, we're of course very hopeful that you're gonna see them around the corner, like, um, and you're gonna you're gonna see them um, in your states and towns because they have a very broad reach, and we are focused on making sure that there is you know equitable distribution um, of the of the programs. And then as far as success and carbon, our carbon goals and what we're looking to achieve, you know, each of the programs will be very closely you know monitoring we'll be we'll be sitting and collecting you know some of the most significant data and looking as we do in our research um, and development looking to share that data with the market as a whole to make sure that the decisions that we're making as we're stepping through this process and the next iteration of this that we're using you know these dollars and 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 the bandwidth is uh, the most appropriately and having the highest impact but I just, you know, and I know I have the vantage point of, of sitting where I'm sitting, but the the breadth of these programs, everyone is, I do believe, is going to just it start, is going to be starting to feel them um, in the next year, because commitments are being made, dollars will start being put out the door, and shovels are going to start to, to go in the ground in many of these. And then we are going to to make sure as these go, I mean, these projects, I mean, in hydrogen, as you know, that's going to take years. So you'll see the beginning, you'll see the development, you'll see the coordination, you'll see people um, starting to place orders for equipment necessary, et cetera, And you'll, so you'll start seeing that, you know, economic activity. And then it's, you know, incumbent upon the department to monitor these programs, share the data that we're receiving and report back on our climate goals.
2: And it sounds like things are moving incredibly quickly. You must be unbelievably busy. So we really appreciate you taking the time to help us understand all this a little bit better. So thank you for that. And before you go, I just wanted to ask you, you know, maybe there's enough happening right now, but I was curious, what's next?
0: Well yeah I so right now it is true I' mean like we're very much in execution mode <laughs> we have a lot on our plate and I think that the really the the ability to to decide what's next has to come after the point where we have seen what the market is telling us as it relates to what we have on you know what, what we're doing this this summer and through this year to then really decide what, where are the gaps? What should you know? What should we do? And, and we we haven't we don't have that full vantage uh, vantage point yet. So that will be developing this summer, and then uh, you know really think about. Where the, where the gaps are and and what needs to be done. But looking forward, really all of this, the entire construct is really about facilitating the private sector and letting the private sector tell us where the dollars are needed in order to, to lead this transition. And so we look forward to those signals from the private sector when determining what where we need to go next.
2: Thanks again to Leslie Biddle, Senior Advisor to the Undersecretary for Infrastructure at the U.S. Department of Energy and former partner at Serengeti Asset Management. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Join us next week as we continue to explore the carbon frontier on Smarter Markets. We hope you'll join us.
1: This episode has been brought to you in part by Base Carbon. The trading of carbon credits can help companies and the world meet ambitious goals for reducing greenhouse gas emissions. But how do we judge the quality of these projects? And how can we ensure that our investments are creating real value? At Base Carbon, we're focused on financing and facilitating the transition to net zero through trusted and transparent partners. It's time to focus on what's important. It's time to get serious on carbon. Learn more at basecarbon.com. That concludes this week's episode of Smarter Markets by Abax. For episode transcripts and additional episode information, including research, editorial and video content, please visit smartermarkets.media. Please help more people discover the podcast by leaving a review on Apple Podcast, Spotify, YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. Smarter Markets is presented for informational and entertainment purposes only. The information presented on Smarter Markets should not be construed as investment advice. Always consult a licensed investment professional before making investment decisions. The views and opinions expressed on Smarter Markets are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the show's hosts or producer. Smarter Markets, its hosts, guests, employees, and producer, ABEX Technologies, shall not be held liable for losses resulting from investment decisions based on informational viewpoints presented on Smarter Markets. Thank you for listening, and please join us again next week.